want to welcome all those watching online today from wherever you're watching around the world. Thank you for watching today. We want to invite you, if you're ever in our area, if you're watching somewhere local especially, stop in, be our guest. We would love to meet you. It's one thing to experience it online, but it's on a whole another level to be here in the house. And so in person, come and be our guest. We would love to meet you today. We're in the middle of a series we're calling uh, Views. God is changing our viewpoint. God is showing us different ways of looking at things. I want to talk to you today about the thought, how God ruins our life. Never talked on that subject before. Some of you came awake just then. How does God ruin our life? You know, before we get started on that, let me talk to you about Peter and John. Peter and John had just uh, come through experiencing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And now they experience the upper room. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're going out. They're sharing about Jesus. And they are going on their way to the temple to worship. And on their way, they come across a, a lame man who had been lame to his birth. And he was there begging. And they, he was asking for money. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. They reached down and said, take up your mat. Rise up and walk. They said, rise up in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they got up and he walked. And he says that he took up his map and he went on leaping, rejoicing, and praising God. Well, this began to upset those who were in the religious community because you don't heal on the Sabbath. Right? I mean, forget this man who's been laying all of his life. We're more worried about religious law than we act that someone actually got freed and healed. Something's wrong. And because they were preaching the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, they religious leaders got very upset. They had him arrested. And then they, they brought him before the priest, the high priest, and the high council of religious law. They didn't like it that they were sharing a gospel about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The only way you could get to Jesus was, the only way you could get to God was to go through so much training. So much of following all these hundreds of laws and years and years of training are those who were allowed to do things in, in God's name. And here Jesus was coming away, giving away spiritual authority. He was coming healing people. And now his disciples are healing people, converting people. I mean, right before the story, we see tens of thousands of people coming to Jesus. I mean, it was an amazing move that was happening there. So they're arrested Brought before the council. Let's pick it up now. I want you to stay with me for this story. Now pay attention. This is an important story. Acts chapter 4. Let's read verses 7 through 20. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power? What name did you heal this man? And then Peter filled now with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people. I love this. He's putting his best Lawyer suit on and voice, I can see him calling out. This, this is an old scrapper. Now, this is an old fisherman. If we are being called to an account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but now whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And look what it says. Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing else they could really say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and said to this as they conferred together and they talked, what are we going to do with these guys, with these men? They asked, everyone who's living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed this notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading, they thought any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then he called, they called them again. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then look what Peter says. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Today, let's talk about how God runs our life. Have you ever had the chance to fly first class? Raise your hand. I want to see if anybody, anybody in here had ever the chance. A few people, yeah. How many ride coach most of the time like me? Anybody here ride coach? Okay, yeah. Do you ever get the feeling when you, when you come in on a plane and people are already sitting in first class? That they're looking at you a little bit different. You're walking in and they're giving you the stare of shame. Like, <laughs> you peasants get on back there. Get out of my breathing space, you know? Well, I remember the first time several years ago I was upgraded. I was checking in and making small talk, trying to be nice to the lady, and she asked me where I was going, and I, uh, I was heading to California, and I was going to be speaking at a conference, and I was telling her about that. She said, oh, you're a minister? You're a pastor? Yeah, yes, I am. She goes, well, pastor, God, God sent you here. This is your lucky day. She goes, I'm going to upgrade you to first class. We got to see. Is that okay? I'm like, yes, hallelujah, yes. God is good. And so she upgraded me to first class. And so for the first time, I'm going to ride first class. I'm waiting there with everybody else. All the rest of us peasants are all sitting around. All of a sudden, I hear, would our first pass, passengers, please go to the gate first. I'm like, whoa, I, I get to go to first. I can win the first ones. I get there, they're like, can we give you a piggyback ride? Can we carry you down this stairs? They say, well. I walk in, they're hi, welcome. We're so glad that you especially are here. Would you have a seat in one of the big captain chairs that are there, like a big sofa recliner? I get there, there's a pillow and blanket already waiting for me, a warm towel to wash off the germs from the rest of the peasants that I just had to contact with. Would you like something to drink before everybody starts boarding? They bring you something to drink, and you're, you're wiping off your hands. You're drinking a, a beverage, and they start letting the rest of the peasants on, and they all start coming on. And what do I do? I look at them like, <laughs> come on in. Yeah, yeah, come, come on. Have fun back there. And when they all get in, they shut the curtain. And then the party starts. You always wonder what happened on the other side of the curtain. It's a party. We got TVs. You can watch any movie on there you want. They bring it, not snacks. They bring it out meals to you. 
like salads and side dishes and desserts and steak. I mean, they got all this stuff and they bring out all the drinks you want, all the food you want. They bring out a hot fudge sundae. I'm eating, I'm stuffed. Got my blanket, got my pillow. Someone opens the curtain and tries to go to our bathroom. They say, sir, no, 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 no. Go back there. You have to use the restroom at the back of the plane. This is for first class. I'm like, yeah, shut that curtain. Come on, man. You know, I, I like that experience. I got to do it another time, and that time I got to actually sleep, had my own cubicle. I got to take a full nap. I slept all the way there. It was an incredible experience. There are so many upsides to flying first class, but there's also a downside to flying first class. And the downside is this, that once you fly first class, it runs you for the rest of your life from ever flying second class. The other day, I had to fly to Houston. I had the middle seat. And I was in between two very large men, and they were clammy. And I'm all sitting sideways like this, like those, you know, the one where it's getting too clammy, we're touching each other. It was like, ah, this is, I don't, I'm like, I can't lean this way, I can't lean this way. I'm like, I can handle it for an hour and a half, it's all right. But I was ruined because I knew beyond the curtain. First class was just stretched out with all the room they needed. Most of the time I get stuck in the back of the plane right next to the bathroom where <laughs> every time they open that door, that smell just hits you like a freight train. Yeah, that's me in the back. And once I've I flown first class, it, it ruined it for me because now I can never fly again without knowing that first class is a lot better. It makes it hard. It makes it hard to go back to coach. It makes it hard to go back but let me tell you, this is the way it is with God. That once you experience the goodness and the grace of God, it's hard to go back to your old self. It's hard to go back to that misery. It's hard to go back there being uncomfortable. It's hard to go back there once you've tasted and see that God has got something so much better for you. There's a better way of living. There's a better way of coping. There's a better way of dealing with your problems. There's a better way of living out your life. There's a better way for your family, for your children, for your marriage, when you understand there's a better way, it's hard to go back and live that way any longer. It, it ruined me. Colossians 3.17 says like this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the way it is. When you experience God, everything you do now becomes a place I'm doing it all for Jesus. I'm doing it all for the Lord. I'm doing everything. My life is for the Lord. My life has been forever ruined. So let me tell you how God runs our life. Number one, God runs my excuses. God runs my excuses. We just read this in Acts 4.13. Let's look at it again. When they saw these two knuckleheads, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, and ordinary, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They, they said something here. These guys are unschooled. We've, we know about the law. We've studied the law for years and years and years. We've gone to school. But 
these guys, God is using them to do miracles. God's using them to heal. God's using them to bring people back into God's kingdom. They're just ordinary people. They haven't been through the training we have. They haven't had the years of experience we have. And they just, like, all of a sudden now, God's using them. See, we can have excuses all day long. How many of us have these excuses? Well, I'm not good enough for God to use. I'm not talented enough for God to use. I'm not pretty enough for God to use. I'm not educated enough for God to use. I'm not old enough for God to use. I'm too old for God to use. Are you unqualified today for God to use? And I say, welcome to the club. Because we're all unqualified. Whether you have one sin or you've had a million sins, it says we've all come short of the glory of God. But the great news of the gospel is this. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he takes me who is unqualified and applies his son's blood to my life. And now I am qualified because God chooses to work through you and I. Stop allowing your excuses to stop you from being used of God. God specializes in using messed up people. God specializes in using people. Like Noah was a drunk. Moses had a speech problem. Rahab was a prostitute. David fell to adultery. Jonah was fish bait. Come on now. Jeremiah was a coward. The disciples were a ragtag mess of people. Paul killed and persecuted Christians. I mean, look through the scripture. Almost every single person God decided to use greatly was somebody who was unqualified. Little shepherd boards on the backside of a desert. Guys sewn off into slavery. People adopted. I mean, God used people in a great way who we think would be unqualified. I've discovered something in almost 30 years of ministry. I've discovered this, that we are all broken people, just broken in different ways. We've all made mistakes. We've all had hurts. We've all had things happen to us out of our control. We've all had things that we look at and say, I'm disqualified. But the great news is this, that God loves to use broken people. God loves to use you and I to complete his story. God wants to rewrite your story with a happy ending. God wants to rewrite your story to bring glory to the kingdom. God loves to use broken people. God destroys our excuses. Why can't he use us? He can use everyone in this room. God wants to use us. We got to come to grips that we all have weaknesses. Look at 2 Corinthians 12.10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in what? Weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships. In persecution and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when I understand I have weaknesses that make me disqualified, it's there I'm qualified for God to use. Because God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for surrendered people. He's looking for people who surrender their weakness to God. People who say, God, I'm nothing without you. Could it be? Could it be your very weakness 
is the very thing that God uses to draw people to you. I don't know about you, but when I see people who don't make mistakes, I can't relate. I can't relate to people who haven't blown it. I can't relate to people who haven't made big mistakes in their life. I can't relate to people who got perfect families. I can't relate to people who had those no problems. I, that's not me. That's not my family. And it's not you either. Could it be that as we come on together and say, you know what? I'm so weak, but God is so strong that people say, I can follow that God. I can follow a God who restores. I can follow a God who heals. I can follow a God who take the broken people and put their life back together again because my life's been broken as well. What we view as a setback, God views as a setup. A setup for him to do something great in your life, and a setup for people to look and say, See how God changed their life. See how God impacted their life. It's a setup. It's a, you're being set up today. God wants to heal you, God wants to use you. No matter what you've done in your life, He has a plan. The Sanhedrin says there must be something to this Jesus. They're, they're like, we can't deny it. Why could they not deny it? Because they're like this. They just did a miracle, and if God can use these two knuckleheads, if God could use these two old stinking fish, God use these two old rough guys to do this miracle and to bring this many people into the kingdom, there's got to be something to it. There's got to be something real to this. They didn't deny it. It was real. They couldn't deny it. It was real. And number two, God runs our vices. God runs our vices. What do you run to when you don't know what to do? When things don't happen the way you think they should happen, when things begin to fall apart, where do you run? Things begin to go apart, what's the thing I turn to? I mean, think about Peter. He's here seeing God do a miracle, but just think, just a few months earlier, it wasn't that way in his life. A few months earlier, Peter blows it with Jesus. Jesus is there at the Last Supper, telling his disciples how he's going to be betrayed. Peter's like, time out, Jesus, not me. The rest of these guys, they probably will, but not me. Not me. I would never, ever leave you. I would never, ever betray you. And Jesus looks at us, Pete, man, you don't even get it before the night's over, before the morning. You're going to deny me three times. He tells them, no, I wouldn't do that, Jesus. He says, you're going to do it three times before the rooster crows. He warns them, and he still does it. And the Bible says that when Jesus was being crucified, Pete was kind of, you know, he was there. He, he wanted to help. He wanted to, to rescue. He, he wanted to be there to comfort Jesus. But they're doing this to Jesus, they're going to do it to me, and they're, they're going to kill him, they're going to kill me. And so, fearing for his life, he stayed in the shadows until he was recognized. And they said, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? And he said, no, I don't even know the guy. That's what the Bible says, he denies them. But when you go back and really look at the original translation, you find out it wasn't nice at all. Matter of fact, it was a very vulgar Response. So it wasn't that he just denied God. He, he did it in a very vulgar way. I mean, he, he went all out, okay, to make it very plain. I'm not with this guy. 
He used language that he would never use in front of Jesus. He, he did things that would have broke Jesus' heart. And, and he said words because in his fear, doesn't do it just once, not twice, but three times through the night, he betrays Jesus. And so we know this, that Peter doesn't even try to go back and be a disciple. Even after the resurrection, and he hears about Jesus resurrecting, he, he automatically took himself out of ministry. I'm not worthy to be called a disciple. I failed Jesus too much. Ever been there? So he went back to his, his vice. He went back to the one thing he knows how to do. Well, if I can't serve in ministry, I'll just go back to being a fisherman. And it says he started fishing. He got his crew back together again. They went out to fish all night. It says they fished all night long. And as the sun was coming up, Jesus appeared to them. And it says they fished all night long, and they caught zero fish. Now, time out. You ever thought about this part of the story? How does a commercial fisherman with other fishermen with him go all night long and not catch a fish? Now, if you're fishing with Jay Tal, I can understand how you can fish all night and not catch a fish. But be like Jay, be like you're going with Jimmy Houston. <laughs> and said, we didn't catch a fish all night. It just wouldn't happen, right? It's, it's, think about that. They didn't catch one fish all night. He goes back and does the one thing he knows to do, and he doesn't catch a thing. Jesus shows up the next morning. He doesn't understand this Jesus. He doesn't recognize him yet. And he calls out to him, and his first words are this, Children! Now, he didn't call them children because he was chastising them, like you young one. It was done as a term of position. Children of God. Peter, you think you're not a child of God, but I'm here to call you as the first words out of my mouth, friend of God, child of God. I mean, what an amazing thing. Have you caught any fish? No. Hey, try casting your nets on the other side. The blight goes off. He remembers. Wait, I had this happen once before. And it was Jesus. Jesus, is that you? You called me child of God. You called me friend. It says he jumps out of his boat. He swims to the shore to be next to Jesus. And there Jesus doesn't do one time does he say, I condemn you. Pete, why did you mess up? Pete, why did you blow it? I warned you. How did you fall for that trap? Doesn't laugh at him. None of that. Doesn't condemn him. None of that. All he said was this. Say, Pete, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Three times he asked him. He's like, yes, Peter, you know, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, God, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. What he was saying was this, Pete, get back to ministry. Pete, quit disqualifying yourself. Pete, quit trying to go back. You fished all night, caught zero fish. For some of you here, you know what I'm talking about because the minute things don't go our way and we blow it, we go back to our vice. And you go back to your vice and it just doesn't hit the same. Now you go back to your vice, it's empty. 
Now you go back to your drug of choice, it's empty. Now you go back to the bottle, it's empty. Now you go back to that person, it's empty. Now you go back to what you used to think about yourself, and it's empty. It brings no fulfillment. Why? Because once you've tasted of the Lord, once you've been with Jesus, nothing else will ever happen again. Once you've experienced first class, you can't go back, P. You can't go back. He says, Pete, Pete, do the work. Do the work of ministry. I love this, that he comes and he crushes our vices. The thing you used to turn to, he says, that's no longer going to bring you satisfaction. You'll catch zero fish. You'll have zero prosperity until you get back to the place where you say, God, I'm all in for you. God, I'm going to continue to be used of you. God destroys our excuses. God destroys our vices. Peter jumps out and he swims to God. There's some people today, you need to jump out and you need to swim to God. You need to quit going back to certain vices in your life. You need to keep going back and you keep going back to that vice, going back to that vice, and it only leaves you more empty every single time. The only way that you'll ever receive the joy, the only way you'll ever be fulfilled is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, a full surrender. I was talking to somebody who's newly coming to our church, and the other night after Man University, he stuck around and said, Pastor, he goes, I just, I just love being here. He goes, the things I used to do, I don't like anymore. The people I used to hang around, he goes, they don't, there's no satisfaction there. He goes, if I could just live in the church all the time, I would. If I could do anything, let me know what was happening. He's tasting of the Lord and sees that he's good. He says, I want more of that. I want more of God in my life. I pray that all of us will be at that place where he said, my vices don't satisfy me anymore. God's moving in his life, and God is moving in your life as well. He wants to run our vices. He wants to run our excuses. And the third point, my last point, God wants to run our plans. God wants to run our plans. Let's read Jeremiah 29, 11, the most famous tattooed verse in the world. For I know, I know, God says, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I love it that God says, I know the plans. I have plans for you. God says, I have plans for you. Not that you have plans for you. Right? I have plans. I have a lot of plans. I got a lot on my bucket list. I got a lot on my goal list. I got a lot of things I wanted to accomplish in my life. But how many know my plans are not God's plans? And the more I surrender to God, the more God has smashed my plans in half. It happens. But I look back now. I'm at the age where I can look back and see where my plans didn't come to fruition. My plans didn't work out. And I say, God, thank you. God, thank you that my plans didn't work out because your plans were so much better for my life. God, you worked things out and you turned all things for good in my life. God, you worked it out for better in my life. God destroyed my plans. 
I had places I wanted to go, things I wanted to see. You know, I love it that Facebook gives me memories from 10 years ago and 12 years ago. And I read things and go, boy, I'm so glad I didn't follow that path. I'm so glad my plans got changed. I'm so glad that God changed my outcome. I'm so thankful that God ruined my plans. Because his plans are so much better than our plans. His ways are so much higher than our ways. He wants to do abundantly, exceedingly, greater, anything that we could ever dream or imagine. God has in store for those who fully love him and will follow him. God runs my plans, but they're for the better. Acts 4.20, they said, don't, don't, don't speak of Jesus anymore. Don't go around healing anymore. Religious leaders told him to stop, and look what they said. We can not stop. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. We can't stop telling people about the resurrected Jesus. We can't stop telling people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I can't stop telling people that this man showed up to me when I was back in my boat thinking I was disqualified. And he called me child, child of God, friend of God. Come on, get back to ministry. Get back to working for the kingdom. Get back to the kingdom. Quit disqualifying yourself. He changed my plans. He changed my advice. He changed my excuses. Jesus ruined it all for the better. And he wants to do the same in your life. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you that you run my life. And I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. You run my excuses. You've run my vices and you run my plans. But God has been so much greater as I've learned to surrender my life fully to you. What an adventure, God. God, I thank you, God, that you came and ruined my life for the better. Today, if you're here and say, Pastor, I, I'm ready to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. How, how do we do that? The Bible says it's a faith decision. I got the faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. His death was happened because his Bible says that he took the weight of the world's sin. And he nailed it to the cross and through his blood of the perfect land that when I believe and put faith in the finished work of the cross, now I am covered by the blood of Jesus and my sins are now forgiven. That I believe that on the third day he was resurrected again. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That he's a savior of the world. As I put my faith in him, the Bible says now I am going to be called a child of God, covered by his blood, put into right standing. So today, say, Pastor, I'm ready to make that decision, to follow after Jesus, to put my faith in him, to put my faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus. We won't do anything to single you out. We're not going to embarrass you. But if you want to make that decision today, where you're sitting, without anybody looking but me, can you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to do that. Thank you. Anybody else today? Raise your hand. Hi, let me see. I see those hands. Anybody else today? Thank you. If you raised your hand, we're going to say this with you out loud, but say it with me today. Say, dear Jesus, 
I surrender all of my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe you are the Messiah, God's only son. And from this day forward, I will live for you and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, we say amen. Come on now, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Give him a big hand clap.